0: Our political commentators are Neil Jones and Liam Hare, Morena, and welcome both. G'day. Coming. Neil Jones was chief of staff to the then Labor leader Jacinda Ardern. Prior to that, chief of staff of the then leader Andrew Little. He is the director of Capital Government Relations. Liam Hare is a Palmerston North lawyer, political commentator, and member of the National Party. Okay, what's you know that I was saying about a week being a long time in politics, um, big shift last Monday, although people left interpreting how big a shift and a lot of reflection on how clear or otherwise the roadmap was. Liam, where are you making or what are you making of the government's, uh, what's it calling it now, transition and the way it is communicating it when it comes to the management of COVID?
1: Yeah, it's a real contrast to um, the government's communications when we did have an elimination strategy. And, you know, to an extent, that's not a surprise. An elimination strategy is a pretty simple thing. Um, transitioning from one strategy to, strategy to another is always going to have some complexities. But uh, that complexity ha- ha- seems to have uh, started to uh, cause the government to lose control of the of the narrative, at least, at least a little bit. Um, you know, and I, I just can't help but think that... Um, you know the, the government made a big call on level three uh, moving to level three. Um, it, it, did it plan for that not to work out the way it expected? To me it feels a little bit like um, the, the post-Brexit situation in the UK when it turned out David Cameron had instructed officials to do no planning on, the, on, the, on a yes vote. And, and all of a sudden what everything that happened when that unexpected turn occurred uh, was unclear and, and, and quite muddy and you know I, I just feel that we're in that same position now.
0: There were a few additional freedoms given for those in Auckland who are undoubtedly fatiguing of lockdown. This ability to, uh, for small groups, perhaps no more than 10, to meet outside with masks or physical distancing. Um, there were comparatively few freedoms, but what, a few more freedoms, but what has become evident since, Neil, is the challenge of containing that border.
2: Yeah, and I think it was always going to be the case that the border would be porous. There are thousands of people crossing that every day uh, for essential services, making, you know, the, the groceries that show up on the front door, you know, the, the essential goods that show up, those don't come out of nowhere. And so I, th- I think there, it is inevitable there will be some spread from Auckland as long as we have lots of active cases. That's why, you know, it is important that we have strong checks on those borders, but also that we keep the numbers of cases in Auckland under control. Um, If I just go back to what Liam was saying, I I think this is one of those situations where there are no good choices. Um, You know, it is a situation that wasn't expected. There was always a sense, I think, that Level 4 was sort of this hard reset button that was always available. And with Delta sort of getting into those communities, that society, um, there have evidently been some issues with compliance. And I was critical of the move from Level 4 down to Level 3 I'm not convinced at the moment whether it would have made a difference given where it was spreading. But regardless, it seems unlikely we'll get back to zero. I think given that you know we're in this new world suddenly, that we thought we probably wouldn't be in until sometime early next year, and so that was always going to be a bit of a messy transition. But I think what where the government has sort of, I think, put a foot wrong last week was the departure from the formula that worked so well in the past. So the strength of the response to date, I think, has been there was a – plan, it was explained really simply and clearly, and people understood the reasons why decisions were being made and their role in it. And that allowed the PM to announce some quite bold actions, um, ask for sacrifices and, and bring people along with her. And I think what we've got now is, you know, people don't really know what the pathway out is, and there's a bit of confusion and frustration. And so I think the government, you know, to get out to get back on track, Uh, really needs to, I think, give a clear direction for what the plan is and where we're going from here. Yeah,
0: but Liam, is the issue that they don't don't have one, Neil, because they are still trying to make sense of this absolute tightrope they are trying to walk?
2: Well, I mean, the plan, as far as I can see it at the moment, is to keep a lid on cases as much as possible, maintain social licence within communities that are locked down at level three, and drive up vaccination rates, but ultimately, it seems that getting vaccination rates across communities up above ninety percent is the core of the plan. And I think where, where there's a bit of a gap potentially is there are people sort of sitting there, double vaccinated, or, or they've got one shot, they're waiting to get the next, and they don't know what the plan is to get those numbers up and when they'll be out. And that's why things like some clarity around, you know, exactly where will a vaccine certificate apply. Will it be compulsory, up to the discretion of the business owner? Which classes of workers are going to be mandated to vaccinate? Um, can employers require vaccination as a condition of ongoing employment? Yeah, these, these things aren't easy for governments to turn around quickly. But the, I think the, that's it's, how the government. Right. Yeah, yeah. Quick hang on, on hang, pick
0: up. It's not
1: quick. No, that's the ex-
0: point. Go ahead. Exactly.
1: Liam. No, no. I mean that's exactly right. I mean it, it, they're not easy questions. But the reality is we've had eighteen months since we had the first. Complete elimination of COVID from New Zealand to answer all of these questions, and so what you know the, the government doesn't have a clear plan. It's trying to formulate that now, but what that shows is that that time hasn't been used very well. I mean, you know, uh, it, it had if we if, if our vaccination rates were uh, weren't rolled up so slowly, if we had some clarity around uh, rapid antigen testing or and, and all of that, and we've had enough time to do it, um, then perhaps you know either elimination would have worked better or we could actually be transitioning into a clearly defined plan now. But the reality is, is that the government is having to do all of this. It's like trying to fix a hayshed while it's raining. You know, they missed the opportunity to fix it while the sun was shining. And, you know, and so how could there be anything but confusion?
2: I, I guess what I would say is it is probably fair to say that the the plan was to work towards a Q1 2022 opening, and yeah, but some you of those not control
0: very... the pandemic. You can't control the virus's yeah. plans. The plan that you started working on 18 months ago clearly went out the window with the emergence of Delta some months ago. Now, and,
1: and, and failing to plan is is planning to fail. Really, I mean, look, the, the truck driver who uh, who who took um, COVID from. Um, uh, Auckland, all the way down the North Island to Palmerston North, where I live, he was unvaccinated. I mean, how how crazy is that? We've had the vaccine um, since you know we've we've ordered it since March. How do how is it that we have people travelling the Auckland border every day unvaccinated? I mean, that's just an indictment.
0: I want to ask you yeah. something, um, Neil, about why these questions are being raised, and it goes back to what Rob Fife was saying when we interviewed him, and he said in his very strong Herald piece. People are tired. I get that. I don't know how most of the people fronting this get up and do it every day. But here's the thing. You have had so many. You've had business. You've had overseas scientists. You've had others saying, let us carry some of this load. Let us do some of the legwork and leg work the proposals here and bring them to you. This happened as recently as last week when, um, oh goodness, how many, was it, 20 of the biggest um, firms went and met with um, Aisha Verrill over the rapid antigen testing that they want to import. And every Mm. step of the way, there is this resistance to sharing the burden, not handing over the decision-making, you know, to evil corporates, but sharing the burden with people with skills and energy to offer.
2: Yeah, I, I think there is, a and Aisha Varel sort of hinted at this um, last week, that there is a certain conservatism within the Ministry of Health, particularly during the elimination strategy. A lot of the um, proposals that were brought forward by business um, were very innovative, but weren't consistent with an elimination strategy. They, they allowed for a tolerance of risk, which, while very low, was too high for a strategy where one case could lead to catastrophe. I think though they could have been ready for
0: now when we're in that position. Anyway,
2: and I think think clearly there are some things that that could have been planned for a bit earlier. I guess what I would say is, knowing a few of the people in the response and the work they do, you are dealing with people who are massively stretched, have worked very hard, and it's very easy to say in hindsight, why weren't you doing that with your limited resource? You know, it, it has been a very complex response with people working very long hours doing their best to try and keep COVID out of the country. And it's easy now to say, well, why weren't you doing this? This particular That's not thing, what people are saying.
0: Ago? People are saying, why won't you let others with skill and capacity and capital? And even? I think
2: you will see a change. Okay. Yeah. And I think you'll see a change if we move into a suppression from an elimination yeah. strategy. But, and, but and, and I... you, Then, then that's Those sorts of innovations, I think, will become more appropriate yeah. for the strategy we have. And hopefully those are welcomed.
1: But, but can I just add, it's, it's not only about sharing the burden um, from government to, to others, it's sharing the burden within, within government. I mean, I couldn't believe it yesterday when I read in the paper that there was an ICU nurse who had been rejected six times for a spot in MIQ. And, and the response of the ministry was, well, maybe the ministry should be talking to, to MB to try and coordinate on it. What, Now?
0: You know, now, it's it's unbelievable. Okay, well, we are where we are. Let's look at how National deals with this and how the opposition deals with it, Liam, because so much of this conversation has been about how difficult opposition is, because... People want success, they want um, people to work together and for things to work, and when you're constantly, as we're doing right now, (laughs) pushing at bruises, believe me, the public don't like it. So where does this leave National, this current situation, where the existing strategy is now clearly in a very challenging transition, to call it that, and above all else, the government is struggling to articulate what it looks like? What does National do, Liam?
1: Well, National uh, shouldn't be opening the champagne for a couple of reasons. One is it's bad for the country. And, um, you know, first and foremost, you shouldn't revel in the the country having difficulties. Um, But even from a political perspective, you know, I don't think that they can really, um, the the, the government's missteps or the government falling behind uh, on the narrative perhaps creates an opportunity for the for national to fill their vacuum but they have to be able to credibly do it right i mean voters aren't stupid voters aren't going to assume that national would be doing a better job if National doesn't seem like the professional type of outfit they wouldn't be doing a better job so i think that uh, you know it, there's an opportunity for national there but it, sh- it shouldn't be assumed that national will are in any kind of ability to, uh, place to exploit it at the moment
2: yeah look i tend to agree with that there there are two key issues that national faces one is just the lack of trust i think the the repeated missteps across multiple leaders and including during Collins' leadership means there is a very low base trust in nationals ability to manage a crisis like this and even with some public confusion over the last week jacinda ardern still does have a lot of public trust that will take a long time to chip away so that basic trust thing i think the second thing is National does have a plan that's put out on how to respond to COVID, and it is far more permissive than what the government's planning, and would lead by its own admission to ICUs and hospitals being overwhelmed. And so if your concern as a member of the public is that the government isn't being tough enough on COVID, I'm not sure National, with its more permissive policy, has any answers either. So that's going to be a challenge. Yeah. too. <laughs>
1: I'm not sure they've agreed with that, but what I do agree with you, Neil, is that um, you know there's for, for the confusion about the government's messaging, there's an equal amount of confusion, confusion about nationals' messaging. On any given COVID subject, could you predict day-to-day what nationals' position is? Pro- probably not. They don't have a consistent theory of the case that they've mm. been pushing for long enough. So they're, they're, in, a, they're in just tight a t- spot as the government is.
0: Where an opposition begins to gain ground, in normal circumstances anyway, is when it actually, to your point, Liam, starts to look like it has a solid block of policies. And one of the most standouts I recall was going all the way back to the Clark-led government coming in, where the detail in what it had thought through in policy, scoped, even um, drafted legislation, convinced the public that there was a new government waiting, ready to go. Can they at least finesse or... (laughs) Um, improve some of the plans that they are putting out now that still look a step ahead of back of the envelope in order to seriously look like they are getting together an alternative plan. And maybe they could pitch it as one they're happy to share with the government, you know. But are we seeing that kind of um, heavy work happening on the ground? Yeah, yeah, I mean,
1: the opening up plan the national put it's put out. It's a pretty substantial plan. I mean, it's um, it's quite detailed. It's um, you, you can see all the homework behind it. But um, I don't know how you can how you can sell it when you don't have a, a, a sort of a salesperson who you know for, for whom that's on brand. Put put it that way. Everything's got to join up. Um, you know, I I don't really think that policy wins and loses elections. I think you sort of have to have a borderline sort of you've, you've got to have a threshold a threshold of seriousness, and that seriousness has two parts to it. It's got the, um, the substance of, of what you're proposing. Uh, or, or, is it plausible? And you've got the salesperson. Is the salesperson plausible too? I'm not sure that those things are matched up.
2: I, was, and I, I, I don't think the plan's plausible either.
0: I was curious as to whether the, the, the heavy winds that uh, the Prime Minister and the Government have run into this past week, with everyone being unhappy just about, it seems, um, from one direction or another might postpone any move National was considering around its leadership, Liam, because, to your point, if it then has another internal um, you know, combustion, uh, unusual way to put those two words together, sorry, um, does that then rule out any gains it might make out of looking like it's starting to propose some useful things? Does this put to the side for quite some time any move on Collins or not?
1: No, I I think the opposite. I mean, I can see the reasoning of what you've laid out, but the reality is is that um, while the government seems invincible, um, the the leadership of the National Party isn't a very desirable thing to have. What's the point of um, having to go up against the world heavyweight champion? Uh, If if the government's looking a little bit more vulnerable, um, I think that actually... uh, increases the danger for Judith Collins um, at least a bit um, because it means that you know it's what she has is something that's worth fighting over a little bit and, uh, and 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 you will start to have the narrative unless things start to improve a little bit to say look you know that it was one thing when the government couldn't be beaten now that it can be we're, we're still languishing um, we do actually have to make change at the top so i I, I think yeah sort of perhaps counterintuitively I think that uh, it um, it increases the peril for Judith Collins in the medium to sh- Medium term,
2: Neil. Yeah, I think I think there's sort of a sweet spot for Judith Collins between about twenty to thirty percent, where she's safer than she might be. If she drops, if she drops under twenty, you could see just a panic and a stampede. And if you start hitting thirty percent, people like Chris Luxon start saying, "Actually, this might be my shot. And if I don't take it now, I'm going to miss out, and I'll end up being Simon Bridges' finance minister rather than prime minister." So, I, I think Liam's right that um, a rise in the polls for National, whether we see that or not wouldn't necessarily be good for Collins. All
0: right, or, or, or,
1: or, sorry, sorry even, even just the decline in trust for Labour isn't good for Collins necessarily. Sorry,
0: just to add that. Oh, in other words, if the beneficiary of that isn't national, if it further votes go to X. Right. is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Okay. Now, the electoral law reform, it's an interesting time to unfail something so fundamentally and constitutionally significant, uh, but here we are. What do you make of what is proposed?
2: Look, I think there are many good reasons to do this. Um, not, you know, few, few more than the number of political parties who are somehow involved in a serious fraud office case. Um, but I'm not sure this is something there is a huge public demand for, or that there's a particularly constructive political environment for a cross partisan agreement, which is the kind of thing you usually need for electoral reform. So. I suspect that, you know, this is a bit of a kick to the long grass. The report comes back late 2023, so that likely means reporting back after the next election, and it'll end up being something for the next parliament to discuss. But, you know, there are if we're going to do this, there are some sensible proposals. Um, I think making it easy to switch between the Maori and general roles seems a no-brainer. Um, I think we could have a look at our electoral donation system, again, partly because of that serious fraud office uh Issue and also just things like the discrepancy between disclosure limits at candidate versus party level, which has come up for some controversy. Um, I think politically, though, for Labor, this should aim to sort of hum along in the background for the rest of the term. The government has a lot on its plate right now, and I think the last thing it needs is another big controversial reform program to have to deal with. What did you? Yeah. Like I,
0: I,
1: I, I tend I tend to agree with Neil that it's not the type thing that should be drawing the government's attention. Um, I also think that you just you're not going to get that uh, cross-party consensus that you, you typically want for electoral reform. I think that those days uh, are, are, are well behind us. The the answer, I believe, is that whatever is proposed, um, you know, the, the the convention needs to develop that electoral changes or constitutional changes do go to a referendum. Um, we we have had a lot of inappropriate referendums in the in the past. Uh. Few years you know we're all s- thoroughly sick of them um but you know if, even if you go back to classical legal scholars like A.V. Dicey who was very much in favor of parliament having the authority to change these laws on itself for constitutional changes you want to have that people's veto that takes the politics out of it I think but you know it's, it's certainly not the type of thing that needs to be um taking the government's attention for a while
0: to the substance of them Liam what do you see as having potential and what do you think is a bridge too far Oh, I think um, like all, all,
1: to an extent, I think all electoral forms tend to be a little bit self-serving when they're promoted. And, you know, the one that's going to draw a lot of controversy is the proposal or the thought around giving um, 16-year-olds um, uh, the vote. Um, and, uh, you know, the, people make very passionate arguments in favour of that, but the, the, the public absolutely hates it. Um, I think there have been two scientific polls on it in the last, uh, the last year. And, for both of them, at the margin was eighty-five or eighty-seven percent in favor of keeping it at eighteen, um, but there are very strong sort of you know within the within the media, uh, within activists, there's a very strong the uh, push for that, and uh, and for people who are opposed to it, it often does seem like self-serving kind of reform um, on the on the basis that you know we can expect most young people to to vote to lean towards the left because that's how they tend to trend and they become more conservative as they as they, they get older. I think that, that if, if there's any uh, any sort of issue on the slate of, um, of of potential reforms that's been put forward, that's going to draw a lot of controversy and a lot of heated argument, that's it's going to be that. I think that the four percent, whether the threshold is four or five percent, um, I think that's less of an issue now. Um, uh, you know, act as as well, but past that, the Greens have firmly established that their ceiling is you know over five percent. So I think the heat's gone out of that issue a lot. So I believe that the the big one is probably going to be um the uh, the, the voting age. We may also seem see some argument around the um, around the, whether the term should be three or four years um, I believe Neil and I are both uh, I, think, I think I'm both pretty skeptical of the four- year term um that's but right. I think that uh, there is yeah there there, there is theres is has been it's been around for a while so I think that if, if there's any chance of seeing any um intelligent non-heated analytical debate that's uh, it's, it's going to be on that three to four year term issue.
2: And I'd add, I think, state funding—if that, depending how that goes—and Farfour was a little bit vague on that, probably wisely—the um, state funding debate, I think, has the potential to heat up.
0: Thank you both very, very much, Neil Jones and Liam Hare, our political commentators.